We're in Hebrews chapter 10 again this week, and I want to finish up in kind of this third, this third portion of the scripture today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And if you have your Bibles or if you have your app, um, you can check those out and look at those. But I'm going to read that whole text again that I started off about uh, five weeks ago in. But our focus today will be verses 24 and 25. But follow along, if you will. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated or opened for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And verse 24, and let us not, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. In your translation, it might say spur on or provoke or to motivate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And as a review, I want to give you a review because we're kind of finishing this up and and this whole text, and just to remind you of what we've covered the last couple of times, our text was written to these Jewish believers, right? And and these Jewish believers who were involved and grew up in Judaism were now part of the way, if you will. They were called, in the book of Acts, these new followers of Jesus, the believers. But they were, they were on a new path, a new way of serving, living, and, and following God. It was the way of grace, the way that, that took care of the law and the old sacrificial system. And these believers were tested, and they were tempted by the pressures of Judaism and the Jews who still clung to Judaism to leave the better way of faith and practice that has been revealed to them by God and that they discovered by the presentation of the gospel to them. And in our text, we were able to see that God made two provisions for the believer as evidenced by the phrase, since we have. You've heard this, I mentioned this last time as well, but by way of reminder and review, since we have two things. We have a Savior who takes away our sins once and for all. And we sang about that today. And we find that in our text in earlier in chapter 10 and in chapter 9, 7 of Hebrews and throughout, that there is this new and better way and that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice who takes away our sins once and for all. What a great Savior we have. And we have also been given a great priest, a great high priest in Christ, who gives us a confident attitude and a direct approach to God as opposed to all the fear and frustration of the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. See, the result now is that there is an exhortation by the writer of Hebrews to do three things. First, we looked at verse 19. Let us, and verse 20 and 21, let us draw near with a sincere heart. Let us draw near to God. Draw near to Him. We are invited. 
There's this opening. There's an opportunity for us to go to God directly, ourselves, through Jesus. The door is wide open, and we are exhorted, we are told, we are commanded. Draw near. Go in. God's inviting and saying, what are you waiting for? Come into me. Let's meet. Let's be together. Because you can, because of what Jesus did. Amen. So let us draw near to God. The exhortation, we, the second exhortation we saw two weeks ago was in verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of your hope, without our hope, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Profession of our hope. Not faith, as you would think, but our hope. That hope that we have in God, that He rose from the dead, that Jesus rose from the dead, and He promised He would come back, and now we have this hope that He's coming back just as He promised, and He's coming back. And it will certainly happen because God is faithful. And here, here there's this command to not give in, to hold on, to hold, and, and to not give up because of the stresses of life, because of sin and even false teaching, among other things. But believers, they hold on to their hope by being eternally minded. You know, you think about the future, not just about today. You know, it's so easy to stop and just look here today like this. And can I just tell you something? Just honestly, if you just do this and you're looking today here, it can be really depressing. It can be be very easy to suddenly despair. It can be very easy to doubt. It can be very easy to, well, just give up. Because all you see is right here today. Remember, we have a living hope, Peter tells us in chapter 1 of his epistle. We have this living hope and we have this hope given to us because of what Jesus did and because of the faithfulness of God. And we look to the future. Yes, we live today, but we look to the future in anticipation of what God will do and fulfill what he's promised in coming back to take us to be with him. Look to the future. Don't just look right here now. And we do so because we are not a people without hope. But instead, we know that the future holds that rapture. Amen? And we're going to be raptured. We know it holds Christ's return. And ultimately, it holds our glorification. You know, like, like no more COVID? Like no more achy bones and muscles and sore muscles and no more whatever. You fill in the blank. It's going to be amazing. And I don't know what it's going to be like. But in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2, we know that we don't know what he's like. We haven't seen him. But we will behold him and we'll be just like him. That's part of the hope that we have. That we're going to be just, I have no idea what it's going to be like. I have no idea what my glorified body is going to be like. I mean, I don't. I, I can't even imagine. I, and actually, I do know one thing. I'm going to be able to taste again. And everything I taste and smell is going to be like the best thing I've ever smelled or the best thing I've ever tasted. It'll be flavored. That'll just blow my mind. It'll be so good. I know that's going to happen. But we have that to look forward to. We're going to be glorified. We're going to be in the presence of Jesus. So we hold fast to that profession by remembering God is faithful and he's going to keep every promise he ever made. Today, we look at verse 24 to 25, where we find our third exhortation. Now, in your translation, if you're reading the NIV or a couple of other ones, this is where the NIV gets it wrong. (laughs) 
There is not a fourth exhortation as you may find where it might say, and let us not forsake or give up meeting together. There is no such thing as let us, let us as a command in there in the Greek. There is only one exhortation in that, that portion in verse 24 and 25, and we'll get to that in a minute. But listen, we look at these verses, and this is what it says in verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Notice, let me backtrack, because this is a really, really, really neat thing to see in the Scripture. Nothing is by accident. God wrote this through people. He inspired them. And the authors wrote these. And, th- and this is just amazing stuff. And there's so much there to learn and glean. I can't do it because it's a rabbit trail and a lot of amazing things there. It's not the whole point. But I want to point this out because there are three exhortations. And when you think about the first exhortation in verse, in verse uh, uh, 20, actually 21, 22, let us draw near to God, right? Or let us draw near with a sincere heart. That exhortation relates to God. The first exhortation relates to God. The second exhortation in verse 20, it, it, it relates to self. It relates to self. Let us hold fast the profession. I should hold fast my profession because God is faithful. It it relates to me. It relates to self. But the third exhortation relates to others. It relates to others. God, me, others. It's consistent with the commands that we see in the Old Testament with the way we're supposed to relate to each other. It's actually an amazing thing. And it's a, this, these, this three this does a connection to the Godhead even here and the Trinity and, and how, the, how the Father, Son, Holy Spirit work together. But there's an amazing thing for us to take note there that we are now called to consider to, and, and we're exhorted to think about others. We love that we can run to God anytime we can because of who Jesus is and we relish that and we're so, we take it lightly sometimes even, but we love it, right? It's all about God. That first exhortation, we run in and we can do it. He made the way, come in, come, come, we go, and it's all about God. The second one is about ourselves. We, we, and we work. I, I say we work, but we make every effort with the Holy Spirit's help and grounded in the truth of God's word that we hold on to that hope and we don't let go all the way until we get there. It's about me doing my part. It's about self. You, I, hold on to our faith. And it relates to me and that I got to take responsibility to do that with God's help. But lastly, and now we move, and it's all about other people. Let us consider. Now, I'm going to simplify these last two verses this morning with three key words that I'll touch on. Three key words. The first key word is consider. Consider. That's the exhortation. The ultimate, that's what it it is, the exhortation. Consider. Let us consider. How to stimulate or to provoke or spur each other on to love and to good deeds. Consider. Take consideration. Make consideration of other people, not just you, yourself, and I, and me. And all. It's about other people. Two times in these two verses, verses 24 and 25, we read the words 
one another. Those are powerful words, those two words together. One another. You find it twice in those verses. And throughout Scripture, you will find it in New Testament dozens of times. We are told to what? Forgive one another. We are told to forgive one another. Uh, to, to, uh, be patient with each other and forbear and carry our burdens with one another. We are told to, what else? To, can you fill in the blank? To love one another. You are told to, there's all these one another's that we will find in scriptures. Encourage one another. We find here in our, 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 our scripture here in verse uh, 25. One another is found over and over and over again because it's about the community, the fellowship of the believers. And again, it points back to that beautiful relationship. Now listen, if we are told, let us consider how to stimulate one one another, if we are instead, if the word said, let us consider how to stimulate each other. Now, I want to be technical here, not to get too, too technical, but if we say each other, If you want to be technical, we can say it's me and somebody else. One other person. Usually we'll think of that. When we read one another, it's more than two people. I mean, if you can look it up. You can do your research with language and words. And and when we use those words, it implies there's more than two. When it's each other, it's me and somebody else. Now when it's one another. Now the point still is that it's always about thinking about somebody else. Because even Jesus said, right, that whenever two or more of you are gathered in my name, I'm with you there to take care of these matters that you're going to be dealing with, right? And judging over, right? He's there with you in Matthew 18. He's there. But there's something here that keeps pointing and the use of one another points us and keeps our eyes focused outside of ourselves to everyone else around others to one another and it shows us again how we should operate and it should be reciprocal this relationship when we consider one another and how we could encourage each other that's how the godhead works the father son holy spirit there is order there's a system there's a mutual there's a yielding a submission a love for one another and it's it's beyond our full comprehension it's so deep it's powerful and yet that's what should be happening amongst ourselves and with one another this is really important it doesn't say to stir up each other or to encourage each other but to encourage and stir up one another let us consider, what does that mean? Just, just by definition. That we would think deeply in this focused manner and to understand how we can engage in a reciprocal relationship where there's good stuff going on. I'll, I'll use that for now. Giving consideration. This is going to bear repeating. But giving consideration is the disposition of Christian fellowship. And it's hard. It is. It's hard. Don't pretend it comes naturally. It's hard. God sheds his love in our hearts, abroad in our hearts, Paul says, and we have love for the brothers. Yes, we do, and yet we're so selfish still. Because we're still us. It's called human nature. It's called sin is constantly coming at us. And we're battling and we're fighting. But we should consider others. We should consider how to stimulate each other to love and to good deeds, it says here. Giving consideration to others is the disposition of Christian fellowship. Our frame of mind, 
ought to be. It, it must be. What can I be and do through Christ for you? And think about that. If we all did that, there would be no needs. If it's reciprocated, everything would be taken care of. And we wouldn't have to worry about anything, right? Oh, I'm so idealistic and utopian. No. That's how God wants it to be. That's His expectation. That we consider each other and others even more than ourselves. Paul writes about that in Philippians chapter 2. When he makes a connection and a comparison to who Jesus was and His character and nature and mindset were. Our text says, let us consider how to stir up or motivate, stimulate one another. Start by considering others first above yourself. If COVID has taught us anything, and I, I want to, I'm talking to you as Christians and brothers and sisters. If COVID has taught us anything, hopefully it's taught us to be mindful of and to consider others by respecting their well-being, by not fighting for a standard of comfort that we prefer, but elevating the standard of care we have for one another. I'm going to repeat that again. I'm going to repeat that again. Because some of us, I'll be honest with you, don't get it. We haven't gotten that yet. I'm not angry at you. I'm just saying God is up there saying, Come on! It's throughout Scripture. Let's be reasonable and use common sense, but let's consider one another above ourselves. That means we sacrifice. I think Jesus sacrificed. I think the apostles sacrificed in their, in their ministry of establishing churches and doctrine. They sacrificed. It's about thinking about other people. I'm going to repeat that again. If COVID should, should be teaching us anything, especially as Christians, it's that we should be mindful of and considering others by respecting their well-being, by not fighting so hard for a standard of comfort that we prefer, but elevating the standard of care that we should have for one another. Put it in quotes. Write it down. Whatever you want to do. I believe that with my whole heart. And I believe that is a biblical position. This disposition or any other frame, mind frame that you may have about others in any given situation, in other words, what's in your heart about them, is always demonstrated. And in the case of this scripture and other believers, it's demonstrated within the fellowship that we have. We provoke each other to love and to good deeds. We are told throughout the Gospels by Jesus himself, but the epistles and the writings in the New Testament, they have told us how we take care of each other and how we love one another. Two things we ought to consider on this point. How can we love our family in Christ the way he wants us to, and what good things can we do for them? We should always think about that. Consider. Take deep thought about what you can do to encourage, to stir up other people to love and to good deeds, including yourself. And it should reciprocate. That is the exhortation. Will we do it? You know what goes hand in hand with that exhortation and that you cannot eliminate? It's the second key word. It's the word gather. But I don't see that. That word's not in the, in the scripture that we read today. No, it's not. 
It's not. You know what the word says? The word says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of one another as is the habit of some. Now, that's, that could be kind of like a negative kind of thing, right? So I'll make it positive. Gather. Get together. Connect. I don't care how you do it. Gather. I, I believe, and I think most pastors and even most Christians will agree, that the way that God designed it is that he wants us to be together face to face. There is something about that that is by God's design. It's absolutely necessary, and we need that. But we're living in a different situation right now. Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. This scripture is misused, and it's misused in this way. I'm not here to hang it over your head and say, Oh, you missed two services in person. You are forsaking the assembling of the brothers and sisters. Shame on you. That's wrong. You're sinning. It's not what this scripture means. It's not what it means. It says, when it says forsaking, the word that it really is there, it's to abandon or neglect. And, it's, and he says, and he clarifies, as is the habit of some, not everyone, some. By the way, you know who you are if that's you. I'm not here to criticize you. Please don't under, but this is, this is important stuff. I'm here to, not here to even judge you. God will do that, the Word will do that, and, and your conscience will do that. I'm not here to do that. I'm just saying that we've got to be careful that we don't take this and use it the wrong way, but at the same time, don't forget that you know if you've neglected, that means that you blow off, you isolate, you have no regard, you don't care, you're off the map. No, that's, that, is, that is wrong. That has is, that is become sinful. You're disobeying. If you've, there are reasons that are practical why you may not be here, so please, be careful. I am not here to shame again or to rebuke or condemn you if you've stayed away because of COVID. I don't believe you've forsaken or abandoned and neglected the assembly or your brothers and sisters if, if you still pray for, if you still call and talk to, if you still text or video chat or whatever you do, if you find ways to stay in touch and meet needs, and if you do spiritual battle together, what does that mean? You're praying and you're in the Word, whether it's, but you're doing it. No, you haven't neglected the assembly. I, I firmly believe that. Oh, I want you here. <laughs> God wants you here. But we're living in, in an interesting time. Let's put it that way, with challenges. However, I'm going to say something. And I'm going to share what somebody said. I don't know who it was. But this is kind of a test of where you really stand regarding this expectation that is connected to the exhortation to spur each other on to love and good deeds, which is that we get together, we stay connected. And I'm going to say this. Because I think it's the truth. And it's a test for where you're really at. Two sentences. If you can miss church without being missed at church, something is missing. If you can miss church without missing church, something is missing. I think that sums it up. The Holy Spirit, you know where you're at. That's not my job. Gather. Assemble. It might look different now. 
Yes, we want you in person if you can and you're comfortable. Please, we want that. I believe that's God's ultimate. That's, that's how he wants it. But however you do it, maintain connection, brothers and sisters, until such time as you can or are comfortable with doing it in person. You see, gathering or assembling in various formats given our pandemic shows that we are obeying the exhortation to consider how we can prod each other to love and good deeds. It only happens when you're connected. It doesn't happen when you're isolated. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Take this to heart. You can believe or have faith alone. Yes, you can. You can also hope all alone. You can hope. But let me tell you something. Growing in faith and holding on to faith and hope is easier when you're with other believers. All the time. Every time. It's easier. However, you cannot love when alone and isolated. Don't tell me you can't amen that. That's the truth. You cannot love when you're alone and isolated. Not the way it's the sacrificial agape love that we see in the New Testament. You've got to be connected. You've got to be together. Love is an action word. Oh, I know you can call and encourage people. We do that. I understand all that. But there's nothing that replaces connecting and gathering, whether it's a phone call, whether it's Twitter, whether it's physically doing something. You, it is, we, we have to find or consider creative ways to break out of isolation, especially during this pandemic, to be the people we're called to be in this text. I'm encouraged, though. I'm really encouraged, personally, to be a part of this local assembly of believers. See, I miss seeing so many of you, and I really mean that, and you know I've talked to a lot of you. But at the same time, I have had some incredibly blessed interactions via phone calls, texts, and even from some of you through cards and letters that I've received. Who does that anymore? Apparently you do because you want to you stay connected. Hallelujah. And it's encouraging. And, and, and you know who you are. There's someone in particular. I've received, since last March, I've probably received like eight letters from you. Thank you. Because they've been so encouraging. And you stayed connected that way. And you've, you've made me feel connected to you. But I do want to see you in person. <laughs> I do. Thank you for that. And of course, many of you have gathered and connected via online video conferencing, whether it's Zoom or WebEx, whatever. That's a way of gathering right now. Don't give up. Keep doing that. Keep pushing. Because we got, we got fighting to do. we got to keep going. All this ought to provoke consideration of how I and we can better love one another by serving one another, even if we're going through what we're going through in this world. And this leads me to my third and final key word in the text. When we get together, when we gather, we naturally need to encourage or exhort each other. That's the third key word. Exhort or encourage See, there, listen, life is tough. Life is tough. There are waves of challenges that come at our hope, and, and there are waves that laugh at God's exclusive provision of eternal life and access to Himself through Christ today. The gospel. Jesus is coming, and before He does, the Bible forecasts that things will be tough. 
Don't be surprised. Don't get caught off guard. It's not easy. And that's why we need each other all the more because we seek Christ's return, the day when he's going to return, the day of judgment when we'll all stand before our creator and we can do so with confidence because, our, because we push each other to persevere with hope and with purity in these times. When we gather, when we connect We encourage, we exhort. You know what that means? We come alongside each other. We cheer each other on. We say, you can do it. God is with you. I'm with you. Together we go. Oh, you fall, let me pick you up. Oh, you can't get through that barrier, that hurdle. Let me find ways with God's help in his word and by the leading of his spirit to get through that. We need one another. We got to come alongside and exhort and encourage You know what else we need? You know what else encouragement and exhortation means? It means that we keep each other in line. Because we got to stay pure until he comes. That's what his plan is. And he helps us, but we do that with each other. You know how that happens? Because Proverbs 18 says that iron sharpens iron. Right? And we get together. And sometimes it's, but but the sparks fly. But we, we confront each other biblically and say, nope, let's stay on track. Let's keep going. Let's live life the way God wants us to. We're going to partake in communion in just a moment. But I want to read what Paul writes to Titus in chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. I love this passage of Scripture. Paul says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait, or other translation says, where we look for the blessed hope. And he tells us what the blessed hope is that we have. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our hope is that he's coming back. And it's going to be glorious, majestic, beautiful, amazing. I can't wait. And it says, Paul says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are His very own. And listen to the last phrase. Eager to do what is good. And it all comes back to that we should spur each other on to love and good works. We exhort each other, encourage each other because we gather and we're together and connected. We push each other to keep going. We consider each other so that we we can push towards that prize, that goal of seeing Jesus. See, this blessed hope, it brings joy and it motivates us to keep going and to help others keep going alongside us. But this blessed hope also causes us to evaluate how we're living, how we're representing the God who gives us that hope in the first place. And gathering, connecting, allows us to do that as well and as best as we can and maximize the ability that we have to encourage and spur each other on. We become all that God wants us to be when we do it together. When we do it together. In front of your seat, there will be a communion cup. And actually, excuse me a minute, I forgot to grab mine. I'm going to grab one. I'll be right back in the camera. We're going to partake in communion. And it'll be brief. It'll be a minute or two. But I just want to say, and if you have your cups, you can open the top film and get the wafer. 
Communion is a reminder of Christ's love that led to his death. The only death that could eternally atone for our sins. Amen? It's a reminder that we are to gather, just like Christ did with his disciples at the Last Supper. And when he, when he had given this all out, he, we're going to read what he said, that he was looking forward to that day. He wouldn't partake of that meal until one day they partook of it face to face. It offers hope for us. That even though we do this to remind us we're connected with one another and with Christ. And that we have His blood that brings us together because we're cleansed and washed by His blood. That there's going to be that day that together we're going to eat and it gives us hope and it fuels our hope. And it keeps our eyes looking to the future. Oh man, we are one body. We're each doing our part to push each other on until we see Jesus face to face. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 6, before he died, before he was betrayed, and, and, and he had that supper with his disciples. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He made a promise, and we have hope, and we're looking forward to that. Amen? Lord, thank you for coming for us. Thank you for physically dying and also physically resurrecting. Thank you that your sacrifice satisfies the price for the penalty that, that, that for our sins, God, it washes them all away. It pays it up, the debt that we had for our sins. Thank you that you rose again and you're alive and you're at the right hand of the Father interceding and mediating on our behalf. And thank you, Lord, that we have this glorious, blessed hope that we look forward to being with you one day. And it's all because you physically came, you died, you rose, you shed your blood to take away our sins. So we thank you and praise you for your great love. Let's eat of the bread together. And if you would open the cup. And let's drink of the cup together as well. What a Savior we have. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for these words. Help us as we go today, Lord, to meditate and to consider deeply, Lord, our text in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And help us, Lord, to heed these exhortations to draw near to you, to hold fast to our profession of hope, and Lord Jesus, to consider how we can spur each other on to love and to good deeds. It's all because we stay, we gather and stay connected in various ways right now, Lord God, so that we can encourage each other because we know that you are coming soon. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.